So, and that was like an hour long episode. I'm like, wow. Yeah. 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 You, I've been constantly surprised by how much content you actually want for the show. And I'm like, most of the stuff I listen to is just people talking about nothing. Welcome to another great episode of the Do Better Dev Show. I am here with your favorite co-host, Nathan. How are you doing, Nathan? I'm doing great. How are you, Gan? Uh, just couldn't be better. Wow. Maybe I could. I just don't know. <laughs> um, but, but doing great so far. That's good to hear. All right. Blissful ignorance is acceptable. I agree. I agree. And yeah, how's your, how's your week been? So uh, it was a big week. I... I, I won't uh, hold off any longer, I guess, go straight into it. I finally passed the mm -hmm. AWS course, which was great. I'm so glad it's behind me. But uh, I said finally as if I'd tried a bunch. It was my first try. I just talked about it for four months before <laughs> actually writing it. And I was as surprised as anyone when it said that I passed after I wrote it because I was pretty sure I was not going to pass. And apparently I did fine. So that was great. Yeah, did better than fine. Don't don't undersell it. Also, I've been waiting for this moment for like a few episodes now, so I need you to re-say it that you passed. Oh, okay. Uh, so I passed the AWS course. Oh, it's very quiet. I couldn't hear it. Oh damn it! <laughs> I didn't want to like like become too loud in case people have headphones in, you uh -huh. know. But okay, yeah, it's it's you can kind of hear yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay it's 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 the you get the message yeah. it's not inconvenient but air horns mm -hmm. yeah 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 so that yeah. one one day i'll have like better social skills and then i'll be able to like congratulate in a normal person mm -hmm. way but for now air horns. or we just have the intermediary stage you get yourself a soundboard and then you can really mix it all in mm -hmm. and uh you don't have to play it through your phone <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, maybe once we have a subscription system and we can afford a soundboard on this show. That'd be pretty special. Yeah, please go and give us money. Do we have a way for listeners to just randomly give us money yet? No, but if somebody expresses interest, you better believe I'm creating a PayPal. Or whatever is... I'm sure I can create a coffee account in like a second... If somebody actually wants to give us their money for some reason. Well, yeah, there's, um, there's a podcast I listen to that just has buy us a beer. And it's like for no real reason. You can just send them money. And we, we can basically do that. Except, you know, just instead of the buy us a beer, it's just send us money for no reason. And if people felt like doing that, you know what? they would have the ability. But if we, they have to request it. We're never going to hear about a request. Like, That's we'd true. Love to give well, you I am creating... I'm getting us a Instagram presence by this weekend, so you know what? I'm just gonna throw that in too. We'll we'll have some way of people giving us. There money. you go. So it's it's gonna be exciting to see uh, whether somebody from the first three people that listen to the show wants to give us money, or if we actually have to get a, a proper audience first. Which I think audiences are overrated. I heard that from Tim Ferriss that it's more important to have a small, committed audience rather than a big audience. And I think three is pretty committed. That's true. They've been there through thick and thin. Every time we put out a podcast, they're listening. Yeah, we don't know if the same three. <laughs> we don't know that. <laughs> no, but they could be. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, it could be the same three. It could be a rotating three. Whoever you three are, we, we appreciate. Mm -hmm. And Nathan is, you know, now, now that he's a AWS certified specialist, <laughs> Um, DM him from all your AWS questions. Don't, don't do that. <laughs> I mean, the, it does really oversell it. If you go to the certificate description, it's like, oh, he is fully qualified to make all these architectural decisions. And I'm like, no way, man. I. Well, that's how is it different? Any different than like when I finished university? My university is like, oh, this guy, he has a degree. He can do a lot of things. It's the same concept. Right. Just you just have to sell it yourself. Now you have a piece of paper to prove it. Doesn't matter if you can do it or not. You can figure that out at the job. Worst case scenario, you cost some guy some money, and then when you go to the next employer, you can be like, "I learned a lot of lessons along the way." Uh -huh. You're not wrong, and that that is kind of my plan. Learn a bit, mm. but you can't really learn until you're on the job. But you also, at this point, it's more difficult to get into those positions if you don't have at least 
some background where you can say, I kind of know what's going on. Because if you just show up and you're like, what's a pod? What is an instance? What's a security group? They're going to be such a liability that they're just like, no, we'll take somebody that has some idea of what's going on. So that's my goal. That is totally fair. So what's your what's your cool tech of cool tech news? Of okay, so I don't think it's actually tech related. I wrote down two things. Uh, yeah, so I've got. Oh, I do have a tech thing. How nice. Um, so <laughs> I'm so surprised by my own notes. Uh, Frontend Masters, they put out a Vim course. I haven't watched it, but I just feel like everybody should know that it's out there and you should probably check it out because the top bullet point was you will learn to finally exit Vim. And, you know, Guillen opened Vim many years ago and still hasn't left. He, he has to restart his computer every time to, just to close it. You can do that? I just sold it. <laughs> I just keep buying new laptops every time it gets stuck into Vim. Yeah, so you know he could take this course, save himself tons of money on, on new hardware. Uh, but this other one, this one is related to, uh, not related to tech at all. It's just related to Rocket League, which is something I talk about every week now. And uh, this one's a weird one, but one of the RLCS casters, Johnny Boy, he held an North America versus uh, EU stream this past Wednesday, so that would have been the, the 28th, and it's on his Twitch, I think he's putting them up on his YouTube, but it was a four-hour stream, and I laughed constantly throughout the whole thing. It was, they had some ex-pro players on there, and one of them in particular has the perfect sense of humor that I just, it, it just killed me the whole time, so... If, uh, if you have a dry sense of humor and any interest whatsoever in watching just people make bizarre jokes while playing Rocket League, it's a, it's a good time. So I got a lot of fun with that, and I guess I'll have to include it in the show notes now that I mentioned it. But that was something I did yesterday, and it was, it was a lot of fun, so I wanted to bring it up on the show. Wow. And how are you doing on Rocket League from... Or are you saving that to the do better section till the end? Yeah, I guess we have to put that in the in the did and do better section because it is okay. technically in my did better list. Okay, so all right. Stay tuned, well, everybody. <laughs> yeah, the, it's the only reason. Don't skip ahead. Yeah, you'll never guess. And listen to the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> did better number three will surprise yeah. you. Doctors hate him. <laughs> so again, what about you? Did you have anything for uh, tech that was interesting, frustrating, or cool? Yeah, I mean, I, I so two things I used in the last week. Uh, one of them is an app. It's called TransferWise. Um, I've always sort of hated wire transfers and stuff. And this is not a pitch. They're not paying us. Nobody pays us. Um, but, but maybe you can soon. It, maybe maybe you can soon. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's called TransferWise, and it's just so good because I'm sending money to India. So before our banks close, I can do it during the day. Go to bed at night, their banks open Nick, while I'm sleeping. By the time I wake up, the money transfer is done. It takes less than a day to transfer money to my account all across the seas. What does bother me about it is I have to pay so many transfer fees to basically transfer some electrons from one part of the world to the other. But you know what? The banks would have charged me way more on the currency exchange. so. Pretty happy. Their UI is pretty good. Uh, it integrates really well with EQ Bank, and it's just okay. We'll take your money, and then we'll give it to you in a different bank account. But uh, pretty cool. I liked it, uh, especially because their exchange rates were like three dollars more than whatever I would gotten at the bank, which really adds up when you're spent sending a couple thousand dollars. Um, and then another one thing that is actually like super tech related isn't something I found last week but I every time I come across this I learn to appreciate its depth which is the OSI model I, I read about it last week I looked at it there was a practical use case where I needed it and it's just it's just ingenious like this model was established in like 80s or whatever and it's still in use on how different computers talk to each other over internet this weird 
big thing where we watch cat videos and make dumb podcasts all the time and it just it works so well and like if you're a little bit into networking or want to understand how internet works just like go look up OSI model there's lots of videos on YouTube uh, there's lots of tutorials or whatnot but it's just mind-blowing to me it's like one of those things I can probably talk to somebody at a party but then I would not get invited again but at least for that individual conversation, I will have a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. I have those topics as well. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's just like I, I forget about it, right? Like because you, you start using internet, you always almost work on the application layer. And then at some point later, you're like, whoa, there's six more layers that I don't touch. And then you like get to appreciate it more because you're like, I don't have to deal with the session layer or anything else that somehow translates zeros and ones between a Linux, Windows, Mac, connected to these thousands of routers across the world uh, and sharks attacking our internet under the water. But it all just works because they made the standard decades ago and there's all this infrastructure just sending electricity from one end to the other. So yeah pretty cool stuff um we can probably do an episode at some point and i can just nerd about it for an hour um but yeah th those are my cool tech things for this week. considering how hard it is for a community to even decide on a linter to use it's amazing that we have any standards the hardware guys are, are more consistent it seems and successful like we got usb out of that as well where they were like we need to agree on something here because we're, we're all fighting over this bus design and it needs to be consistent. They were like, you know what, let's just get everybody together in a room and hash it out. So once upon a time, we could do that sort of thing. Yeah, I think it's just the end, end of day, it just comes to the money, right? Like software, you can just keep changing things and like there's no actual damage to anybody so everybody can have an opinion. But on hardware, you're like, oh, I'm not gonna use RJ45, I'm gonna create my own connector diagram specification, and no one buys your product. Good luck existing in the market, um, right? Like fiber, fiber optic, ca coax cables, axle cables, all that existed, Le like definitely more than 10 years ago and stuff, and like fiber optic was used a lot more on the higher scale. Now you have fiber optic coming to your home because somehow it's not as expensive to produce it to get you higher speeds in your home um but yeah even then they're like we'll have fiber optic for the whole area but the moment it reaches your home you have a rg45 connector again oh your internet cable looks different guess what cat 5 6 or 7 you don't have to deal with what's underneath they all connect through the same pr connector anyways um but yeah hardware guys seems like because I suppose if there aren't standard, then nobody makes any money as opposed to everybody making money. Yeah. Yeah. And I just have to worry about, you know, IE11. It's a very <laughs> different, a different world. <laughs> All your, every, every single person you're supporting on your awesome new app is just using IE11. Yeah, well, unfortunately hospitals still use IE11, so. You know, oh. the, it, it doesn't support, you know, certain window functions and then our whole app crashes. So it's, it's a problem. But yeah, you can't polyfill your hardwired internet quite so easily. So I, I see your point. Software is, <laughs> software is easier to work <laughs> around. But yeah, that's, that's the cool tech segment. We've somehow made it to part four of interview series. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just like, anybody who's gotten to this point can like easily schmooze a HR person now, can easily quit their job, can easily figure out what they need to do in life. If you haven't listened to our other three episodes, and this is a fact that everything I've said is true. Yep, because three roughly 20 minute discussions will solve all those problems for you. Yeah, it's just... Yeah, you'll need some of that and a whole bunch of self-actualization. <laughs> but we can't provide with the self-actualization because it's self. Right. Yeah. yeah we're just all talk. <laughs> yeah, but today, uh, continuing our talk from before, we're 
So where did we leave off last time, Nathan? Uh, we were talking about being nice to HR people and having the HR screening call. So we touched a little bit on the non-technical parts of those initial screening discussions. And so those would be things, roughly speaking, like um, you know, expectations for the, the role, understanding if it's a remote work position, understanding uh, what the team would be like that you'd be working with if they have a team in mind, and kind of how to interview the HR person while they are also interviewing you to find out if it's worth both of you continuing on. And that was more or less what we sort of stopped at with respect to the interview process, which is still very early on in the interview process. I've had many more HR screening calls than I have full technical interviews. Yeah, and like those are the, especially in your early on career, like those are, those can be the make it or break it calls because of the HR person is just like, nah, I don't get a good vibe, then you're just kind of screwed. So very important to focus on those. Um, but yeah, now we can move on to the next one. Now the HR person likes you and they're like, hey, this person seems to be able to probably do what they think they can. Let me have them talk to an actual technical person and given most tech companies that I've seen or talked to, um, you'll probably have a technical screening interview before you even have like any bigger or more in-depth interviews. This is just the very first call where you talk to an engineer who tries to figure out if you're full of crap or not. Exactly. And I've, so again, for context, for anybody who doesn't remember, I've done interviews like this before, like as being on the interviewing side, and having been interviewed, but I haven't been doing this for you know 15 years or something. So it's some experience, but not uh, extensive. So take everything I say with a grain of salt, but it is all straight facts. That's true. Yeah, it's yeah, it's all facts, and it doesn't matter if you've even been doing it for like 20 years. Take everything with a grain of salt, like. Your real-world reflections may not reflect our conversations that we've had in our time, back in our days right. of interviewing. Things change, it's tech, get used to it. Yeah, and we're both interviewing in very similar parts of the world, so that has, that has true. an effect as well. Exactly, yeah. So, yeah, West Coast tech industry, actually Canada tech industry, more or less, Canada, US. Um, all of this advice works because in Europe, you just show up and you're just like, I'm European and I can code, and they're like, cool, and then they hire yeah, you. Yeah, and you put photos of yourself and your resume. It's, it's a weird world over there. Yeah, yeah. They, they want to make sure, you know, you're, you, you're a human. Yeah, I don't know, yeah. Like, <laughs> that's the, they, they want to make sure you have, you're resourceful and a human. And that's how human resources takes you in. I see. Right. So again, what are we starting with in this discussion? <laughs> what do you what do you um, have in mind for this this part of the chat? So, for the for the technical interview or the technical screening, I um, wanted to touch a little bit on what you should gauge, how you should prepare um, once you're in the interview, how to answer, or what kind of expectations they're looking for. So. Before you gauge or go into the actual technical interview, please ask your HR person to either get you some resources or directly if they can put you in touch with the person who's going to conduct it. Because most of the time, they'll just tell you what kind of questions or problems they'll be asking you. They'll have different formats. Some technical screenings have some tech, some if you're a person who can work with other people, others is a one-hour coding challenge where they sit in silence and judge you while you code for an hour. And then there are others where they'll talk to you about concepts and everything you've done. Does that sort of resonate with your experience of technical screenings? Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, I feel like there's a, there's a story here. Yeah, well, just, you know, I was somewhat recently asked to code a prefix tree from scratch while my interviewers sat silently through a video call and made no comment for 40 minutes. And it was very odd and I was very uncomfortable because you know it didn't come in planned into reg prefix tree. Thought I was gonna be doing more of a chat. So uh, if you're not 
Again, expectations. If you don't have the right expectations, you will come in in the wrong headspace and perhaps underperform. So getting that information up front is really useful. Yeah, because some companies, what they have, they have automated coding interviews thing where you, you'll be sent a URL for a given time window. You open it, it'll give you two, three, five, whatever coding questions. You solve them to the best of your capability and you submit it. And then somebody on the other end can analyze it. Or the other way where a person is there who's talking to you uh, and trying to get you to engage uh, and understand how your thinking works. Um, but what Nathan described is the mixture of those two, which is the worst case scenario where they give you a coding problem to work on your own, but they're looking at you. And we all know everybody becomes like absolutely useless when someone's looking over your shoulder while coding. Normally you can be like, yeah, I can reverse this binary tree. And then somebody stands behind your shoulder and you're just like, is, is for loop recursive? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. I also just start sweating a lot, which doesn't make it any more comfortable. Uh, yeah, so if you're an interviewer by any chance listening to this, please don't do that. Don't sit there awkwardly in silence while the other, while the candidate is trying to solve a question. Either guide them through it or put them out of their misery and like ask about other things. But if you just sit there for an hour just to psych them out, you're playing some sick mind games and like I don't want to work with you. Yeah, so, and in comparison to that, so like I did one of those Microsoft uh, take home one so it was just like send you a URL and you write it that one was quite comfortable as far as the experience goes and then as far as on-site stuff goes the on-sites at Amazon for AWS were actually really well explained ahead of time and so going into them while it's uncomfortable doing four hours of interviewing and writing on a whiteboard and trying to talk through and provide answers to questions that no matter how much you prepare, there's only so many examples you can come up with. Uh, those were both, the expectations up front were really good and really clear. It was like, we're sending you a URL and you're just gonna write some code and send it back to us. Or these are exactly the kinds of interviews you're going to expect for the day. And these are the questions we're gonna ask. Here's a document, a PDF document with all of the things you should prepare and all the kinds of questions we're gonna ask. And that was as overwhelming as it was and as difficult as those interviews were, it, I didn't leave feeling really upset about how the interviews were performed other than that I wish those types of interviews weren't common because it was clearly communicated. And so at least I know that some people will hate on certain companies, but as far as those two big companies go, interviewing with them was a relatively smooth experience. And I just think that's worth noting. Yeah, yeah, I think most like big companies have to have that standardized across teams because they have so many interviews going on at all times. EA had something similar where in the beginning I was just sent this random technical coding, go do it, and then somebody looks at the other end to figure out if you can code or not, and then they start talking to you as a human. But before that, they just want to see do you have the basic concepts and how you approach a problem solving. So when you are doing those coding questions, make sure to write lots of comments, use proper variable names. You may not think it's important, but the least important part of those challenges that I found is actually getting a running solution. Like that's great if you can do it, but if not, please describe what your thought process is, if you can make it better, if you had more time, what other resources you would use. Throw that in the comments because someone is looking at it at the other end and it may or may not like put you ahead of other candidates because you explained and took the time to go through your solution. Because in the upcoming interviews, no one is going to discuss that technical assessment. This was a, like, a mind-opening experience for me because I always thought if I just get the solution working to some extent, I can get on a call and explain why I did certain things. But no one asks. Nobody ever asked. Um, yeah, so if you just explain it on the board, then they don't have to talk to you about it anyway. Yeah, there's a good chance they'll, nobody else sees it after the first person filters you in or out. So it, it's important just to communicate, write, write it well. <clears throat> write it well and explain yeah. to the person who's reading it. Uh, but if you were preparing for one of those strictly technical interviews where you're just given a coding challenge, how would you prepare for that type of interview? 
Um, definitely, like, don't, like, but the answers I'm going to give are cliche answers because everybody gives okay. them, but everybody gives them because they work. So you have your cracking the coding interview book and you have lead code. Don't go and pay for a lead code's pricing or whatever just because you think it'll make you better. Those are more next level things if you're just starting out. The, the money is not worth it. And it's just, so the way I approach those problems is I have noticed in my career that the concepts are the more important part of those things, not the actual solutions. So just knowing how it can effectively calculate the Fibonacci number of the nth element does not help me in my career at all at any points but knowing how I can effectively reduce the time or space complexity of something does. So knowing your data types, understanding how these algorithms work, having a basic understanding of recursion as much as you may hate it, being a normal human because recursion sucks. Um, you just have to deal with it and learn all these linked lists and proper other data structures. And you just need to have a basic understanding of, I can write a program that can iterate through these things and don't worry about like sorting, shuffling everything in the first go. Just learn how to write one in the language of your choice and explain the solution if you can. That's what I focus on generally. That's fair. Has it worked? I would say, yeah, I, I wouldn't say those like not being able to do those were the reasons I was not hired at places or not. Um, also, in the beginning of my career, I was just not good at those kind of problems or data sets anyways. So I got my jobs because of other things I was good at, not because I had really concrete knowledge about the, these complex data structures. Um, but they helped me later on in a more senior role to be able to say, okay, I can translate a thought into code, but can I make it better? Can I, can I have it do better on the resources it's taking? And if I have to explain the code to a human, um, can I do that effectively? Mm -hmm. So I think so, um, depending again on the role, since we talked about just the technical part, if you're applying for a software engineer or developer, especially you'll need those. If you're more going into the DevOps space and everything like I am deciding, um, they're not as important. If I actually, I'm actually at the point in my life that if I go to an interview and they ask me to reverse a binary tree, I'm just going to say no. I'm going to say this is not the effective use of my skills and the, if this position is measured by this, then I don't want this job. Yeah, that's fair. I, yeah. I... How do you prepare? <laughs> so, <laughs> what I tried to do for a while was one, at least one, problem on lead code every day and I did that for like six months and I like tried to increase in difficulty as things went along and leading up to the planned interview time of the year I was doing them more frequently so like more than one in a single day and as it turns out it just doesn't carry over very well for me into an actual interview uh, I am, I'm thinking at least that I am just a slow thinker, like very th methodical in my approach. So when I'm at work and I'm presented with a problem, my typical approach is understand the problem, then step away, go for a walk, maybe make some notes, and then come back to the problem and be like, all right, I think this is a good approach start sort of mapping out how I would do it, see if there's road, obvious roadblocks that come up, and then fix them. But that's always far above the level of an algorithm because it's actual like software problems. And then put me in a algorithm interview with people watching me, and yeah, my brain just breaks, and I don't know what to do, and I try to write an algorithm, and I'm like, I don't even remember how to write code anymore because I have to draw it on a board and like on a wall and there's people watching and I'm trying to explain it to what I'm thinking to them while they probe for question or probe me with questions that I'm not prepared to answer at this moment 
And so I disregard all of my preparation and say, if you're good at writing algorithms and you can do it with people watching, you'll do great in these interviews. Whatever you need to do to prep to do that, good for you. I don't have any advice that's worked because I've tried these interviews and they've never gone well. And at this point, I don't see myself pursuing the interview path that requires that skill because if that's the filter, I'm not going to excel at a job that reflects that. And if they've chosen that filter and the job doesn't match, that's fine. I'll find a different job. And at, I'm, I'm kind of just accepting that at this point. So those particular times of interviews, I, I'm not preparing for anymore. I haven't written a leak code question in at least a year and I have no intention of doing so because I don't enjoy it. I hated it every time I did it. And I didn't get that feeling of, of accomplishment that I get from solving other types of problems um, when I was solving leak code problems. I'd be like, well, glad that's over with. So if that's how I was feeling about it, it's just not worth it for me. But I know there's people who love that sort of thing, like people who do competitive coding and they would love to do these sorts of algorithm problems. And I will leave the, the door open to them. Yeah, yeah. But what, like, it reminded me of a story which is like highly demotivating. But there was a time when the Cracking the Coding interview, Nathan had done it cover to cover, and I had not touched it. And we both went to get a job, and we both were rejected. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> it was the same company, same day interview, different positions, but the criteria was same. But the fact that he knew that book back to back and I knew none of it didn't help either of us uh, <laughs> because of whatever criteria they used to filter candidates. Yeah, and I'd also done my six months of daily lead code. Exactly, yeah. That. And the, yeah, it's just, it's not my style, I guess. <laughs> yeah, so a great point was touched during that explanation that Nathan gave was they will be probing you while to explain what you're doing. So as an interviewer, I've always focused on what are you thinking? I need to know. I, that's what I am more looking for in the interview. As an interviewee, that's what I focus on. So the interview is not there, or at least I hope if they're looking for a problem like that, they're looking for the problem solving skill, not the solution to the question on the board. Um, so if I am solving those, I generally go with, okay, this is, and one of the things I've started doing, this is my process, which seems to work so far for me, is echo out the business problem to them. So read it off, under, explain in your same words, and this is how you sort of get them to engage as well. If they're just absolutely refusing to engage in the problem solving, then again, bad culture, red flag, get get F out. But if, if they're good, what you could do or what has worked for me is I look at the problem, I understand it, I explain to them in the, I, I basically repeat the problem to them and say, okay, this is the business case, this is what you want, this is the given data, this is what you want me to do, and this is the expected output. And if they say yes or um, then you get more clarification. So step one, requirements gathering. Whatever you do in coding, that's gonna be the make it or break it deal. Get requirements, get as clear as you can because the customer will change their mind sooner or later. So make sure the interviewer is really clear what you understand the problem to be and you're clear. Um, step two, outline a pseudo solution. Not, I don't mean code, I mean, if it's a whiteboard, then that's great because you can sort of just draw a very rough diagram of this is how I plan to solve this. Um, or if it's in the text bar, I generally just write it as a comment in the IDE of this is my proposed solution. I know it'll lack here and here but we can look at those problems later if it takes up too much space or if it's low on processing. And then we just go, then I then it's time to code. Again, most companies will want you to like write code as close to the language possible. Don't write pseudocode, they're gonna be mad. Uh, nobody likes it when you can just skip uh, for each or whatever or don't understand how indexes work in a dictionary or array, um, just do better. Uh, figure out how to explain those concepts. And as you're going with that, explain. That's what I do. I'm just like, okay, with this problem that I broke down, now I'm approaching this section. And sometimes there will be a awkward gap of like 
30 seconds or so and then I would always prefix it with well what I'm trying to think is this and that and then I'll be like I need a minute just so they know that hey I don't know what's happening um, and if I can't figure out in that then I just start typing code I found more often than not for me it's easier for me to look at a code and say oh that's obviously broken and then I can fix it as opposed to hmm let me think of the best solution ever so works better for me your process might be different but I just start writing something and then if it seems like it'll work I'm like well, cool I'll just move on to the next piece because um, more often than not they're also not going to worry about if it works or not and those online IDEs don't even execute half the time it's not like the lead code execution environment so be very communicative that's what I that's what I would summarize it to be requirements gathering explain the solution break it down into smaller segments and start executing one segment at a time you just made me realize another thing that makes me ill-equipped for such an interview which is I write a lot of my stuff with getting simple tests passing first to make sure the stuff's working the way I think it is and then I build from there and yeah if you can't execute any tests I've uh, I'm, I'm dead in the water with that because even when I'm writing interview or writing something on leak code when I was doing that it was like basic test does what I think it does yes great now next step in complexity next step in complexity and you never get to confirm that and so I would sometimes find myself at stage three when really like there was an issue in stage one and that first test yep. wouldn't have passed you would have known if you were able to execute your code like in the real world but you can't do that in an interview for whatever reason. Yeah, and you know, I think to some extent that's better because um, I don't want to sit there and if I know for a fact because an IDE just told me that this function is going to fail, I don't want my brain getting fixated on doing that as opposed to solving the next three functions that I could have. Because if I do and I can prefix that function with this is what I expect it to do, there's some rough code that if you skim it, you just sit there and be like, I skimmed it then you know that it it sort of looks like what the comment says it does. It doesn't matter if it does, because the interview isn't running it, nobody's running it. You just pretend that it, everything's good, and you fake it till you make it. And then at the end of the day, if this was a real world situation, you would obviously write tests. You would execute the code before opening a pull request and not just rely on the CI to do it for you because you're not a bad developer, correct? So you would just do all these tests before pushing the code. So why not try to replicate the same thing in an interview? Don't focus on getting the code to work. Focus on telling them you have the ability to make the code work. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> Nathan disagrees. I do, but... yes, because I prefer the other type of interview, the technical screening, which is the discussion-based technical screenings. 100%, yeah. I, so if, if I had to pick between one or two, I would prefer the discussions. Mm -hmm because that tells you more about how you're thinking as opposed to going through a specific problem with a narrow mindset. Um, and that's a great segue. So let's talk about the conversational ones. How do you prepare for that? So as a general baseline, I think even if you weren't told to provide a bunch of examples of things, you should still have some good examples top of mind. And so those would be examples for a problem you recently solved, like all the common things that you'll gasp at. What's the most difficult problem you've solved in the last two years? Something like that. Or um, what's something, a technology you're currently excited about? Uh, what was a time that you had a bug that you should have solved sooner than you did? And why did it take you so long to solve it? What did you learn from that? These sorts of things, like just have these little beats in your head, but make sure that the stories end in a positive direction and you don't just have some downward spiral of events that ends with the interviewer going like, oh, uh, you want them to get a positive impression of you. So having these stories ready so you also don't talk yourself into a bad story as well, that could be uh, a problem. So having these stories ready is good, that's one thing I'll try to do. And just getting comfortable talking about code, it's actually why I started making YouTube videos in the first place, was to get comfortable with talking about code so that when I had to discuss it with somebody, I would have those words at top of mind and I wouldn't be thinking of things like, you know, the equal sign instead of saying assignment 
or something like that. Just because when you're typing it, you don't always think of things in the same way as when you have to say them out loud. So just having conversations about code can be helpful in doing, if you're comfortable with such a thing, doing practice discussions with a friend. You and I did these sorts of things where it was like, tell me a story about the time you did this uh, in preparation for a series of interviews. So doing that sort of thing is honestly, I think the most important because you're not going to be able to magically prepare a bunch of knowledge ahead of time. So either you know stuff or you don't. It's a matter of having some good examples on top of mind and being comfortable talking about those sorts of things. And just to close the loop on that before I pass back to you, the opposite of that was I had a system design interview and I had never talked about like system level design. So even though in my head, I'm aware of all these concepts, I'm like having to discover how to talk about it during an interview because I'm used to looking at UML diagrams and just saying like, oh yeah, this, is, this service is gonna call this thing and then this thing over here is going to call the load balancer and it's gonna distribute traffic. And it's like, but having to, without a diagram, just talk at somebody about how I would solve this problem via architecture. I was like, I've never done this and it's amazingly difficult. So if you, even if you think you know, just try to say it and see if you have any way of actually communicating that because you may surprise yourself like I did where I just realized, oh, I don't have the words for this and uh, I need to learn it. Yeah, yeah, definitely the talk, do it in front of a mirror, turn on your webcam, write, draw it on paper if you have a whiteboard. You know, the only way to get better at interviews is either to have enough of them or pretend or like practice at home, right? And yeah, solutions, architecting and displaying and discussing how to architect a complete system overall is a much different skill than being able to describe uh, algorithm or functionality of a code in depth. Um, yeah, because now instead of just thinking about how an individual problem works, you're now thinking of how to connect eight different components. Um, yeah, and, and that can cause issues. Um, one of the things I was actually thinking uh, of the way I prepare for those the conversation types is have a copy of your resume in front of you because that's the thing they're gonna base a lot of their conversations off of as well. Um, good part of the chatting interviews is they look over your resume and they pinpoint things from that to talk to you. So A, make sure you can back up everything you've written on your resume. Because um, man, it takes like microseconds to figure out if somebody's just like, just lying to you. Uh, I, I definitely have had interviews where somebody had something on their resume that they put in a lot of work and like improved the site performance from X to X and it was like loading magnificently fast or something. I was like, okay, tell me what you did. And they're like, oh, I turned on this Webpack setting that like lazy loaded images. And I was just like, oh, okay, well, cool, I guess. Did you, how did you figure that out or debug this? It's just like, oh, my, my senior dev told me. I was like, oh. Oh no, see, you didn't do it then. You just typed in the setting. Can you explain to me how image compression and lazy loading works? And he couldn't, and I was just like, oh, I am already losing interest here. Uh, give me something, give me something from your resume that makes you look so good. Um, so yeah, definitely have your resume on hand. Be ready to back up every information that's on there. And if not, even like in that guy's case, he could have gone with the well, this is what I learned about lazy loading as a concept because it was a junior role, but give me more than somebody told me to execute a task, so I did it. Because we can find interns for that too. It's not that hard. May sell yourself, right? So that's the, that's the concept. Um, and be, this, I, this is a personal preference. I don't know based on the interviewer and you might be different, but I prefer interviewees when they talk slow and calm. I don't want somebody going really fast like this and it's like completely missing over a point and then it's like being all nervous. I get it, interviews are a nervous spot, um, but if you're, not, if you're not able to explain something and you're just trying to speed through it, I'm just going to think you don't get the concept very well. Um, 
and yeah, and use I terms instead of we. I learned that through Amazon's recruiting process and I've never looked back. There's so many times when someone is like, oh yeah, we switched this complete assignment to do this. I'm like, what did you do? And then when the I terms start dropping in, I'm like, ah, oh, this is the reality. So, <laughs> so, you know, just little things like that, the technical screening conversations, unless the interviewer asks you to answer something in detail, give them a broad description of whatever the question is and then ask them if they would like to dive into something. Don't start a storytelling from a simple question because that could derail things pretty quickly. That's a good point, that's a good point. Uh, yeah, so if you're looking for examples of things to come up with stories about, as Gan mentioned, the resume is a good spot to start. If you've got some bullet points under your past experience, tie some stories to those, have some, some data to back it up. People like data and examples. And uh, there was one thing that you touched on there, one to explore more, and I've, I've lost it. Um, so I, I had something, but it's gone. Okay, well, if it, if it comes back, let me know. <laughs> uh, if not, we'll talk about it in the next episode. Um, but yeah, those are, those are generally the things I focus on for the technical screening, especially during the, just the conversation part of back and forth. Okay. And then generally you'll have like five or 10 minutes near the end to ask them about the job or the role. Yeah, so I, I did think of something. It wasn't directly related, but it's just try to be a bit interesting or memorable in some way. So if you have uh, some sort of interest or if you're just good at talking to people and you can start a conversation that's not tech related right off the bat, just you know maybe you're waiting for the third interviewer to show up. Just having a chat that is a bit less related to code than everybody else is probably talking about, it'll make you a bit more memorable. Uh, if you have an interesting hobby that comes up somehow, that can be good. Or if you have an opinion on something that you can justify that might not be everybody's opinion, that can also be fun as long as it is within your wheelhouse and not obviously a horrible opinion. But like, if you really like technology A, and most people seem to like technology B and they do comparable things, that sort of thing can be fun to discuss and people remember like, oh, that was the guy that really liked Angular for some reason. And if you have good reasons for it, then at least they'll remember it. And they'll be like, you know what? We, we didn't like that, but we'll convince you. We'll sell you on React and you'll like it better eventually or Vue or whatever it is. And so just having these opinions, they are, as long, again, as long as you're not brash and arrogant and disgusting about it, it can be fun and a bit memorable. And I've definitely had done interviews where I just remember the person I was interviewing and like, oh yeah, they really liked this one thing. We talked about that for a bit. And so having that thing that makes you a bit memorable because everybody is human at some point, even if it's a big company, it's, uh, it, I, I think at least it has helped me before. Yeah, no, definitely. If, I, if I'm conducting an interview and somebody has had some sort of uniqueness to them, I definitely remember them. Uh, it also hints at a good culture fit for me. If they have had some sort of positive thing or something different about them, then I could be like, some sort of diversity is coming to the team, which would be a good positive ad uh, addition. Not that they were just like completely rude, then it's still diversity, just <laughs> negatively, and I don't want that on my yeah, team. Yeah, more diverse complaints. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, the only final type of interview I can think of is pretty simple for me, but it's take-home interviews. We've got a take-home project. Do you have any thoughts, Gian, that you'd like to share with the, the whole class? Um, <laughs> it's just, they're just so unreasonable. Um, if I don't have a job, then I sort of welcome them because then I get to sort of build this little app. Um, and I like building little apps and abandoning them and interviews are a perfect time for that because you work on something for a given amount of time and you don't have to work on it after that. Um, however, it is sort of unfair if it takes you more than an hour or two uh, to dedicate to this while you have a full-time job or anything before the company has even spoken to you properly uh, in terms of the job. My hot take is just they're trying, 
it's not a good practice and you should talk to somebody in the company about it just because it's standard doesn't mean it's good yeah i've had three take-home assignments that i can remember and the first one i was told don't spend more than i think it was two hours and it was just some really basic stuff and it was basically I just wanted to see like does this person actually have any idea how to write code and that was the extent of it but the other two they were both like weekend projects to get an app up and running that had you know a rest api and a ui fronting it and it was you know there were some stipulations around how it should work and one of them was specifically about using a specific framework to to build that and I hate them, and I think at this point, if yeah, kind of like with you with, uh, you know, inverting a binary tree question, if somebody says we're gonna give you a take-home project, I'm just gonna say like, no. What what other options do you have? Do you have another interview style? Because if you don't, I'll just go somewhere else, and I have to be, I have to have a lot of free time or be really desperate for that job to consider it at this point because, I think the most angry I can remember myself being in the last couple of years was, well, three years, I guess, was after I finished one of these take-home assignments. And it was like, this was just such an abuse of my time and patience, and I should not have done this. So I won't be doing it again. And if you're so lucky as to it not be you trying to find your first job, like if you already have a job, particularly if you haven't been, if that company is still running and you haven't left it yet, like not taking another take-home assignment from another company, that's my recommendation. Just be like, no, I will find somebody who respects me and my time more and is not, because the thing that's so dis disturbing about that is the disproportionate commitment on each end. Like one, the, the candidate has to do two days of work, let's say, and then the company looks at it for 15, 20 minutes, one person, and decides whether or not it's good enough to move them forward. And it just, it, it's not fair, it's not a good balance. So I don't think a company that has that approach really knows how to respect its employees. And uh, I would recommend you don't engage in such a practice on either end. Turn them down if you get them, if you, if you can. And if your company does that, maybe ask them not to. Just try to get them to stop. Yeah, yeah, if you're really bored, like, tons of softwares now will generate it for you so just auto generate a whole api send it to them it's like is this what you're testing like can i run a cli command and yeah see if you want to be mad like i think the last one i built which is also the only no i've, I've built two take-home projects one of them was an android app to get to a certain company who didn't let me do a lot of android after i was hired but a different company uh, asked me to build this to-do app using React, and they wanted to like see my TypeScript skills. And I, I, I sort of got into it. I, I built this whole thing. But since I'm a DevOps person, I made this like completely containerized, running smoothly, make file commands so that it's all easy. And that's where I put a lot of focus on. And then the to-do app itself was like, took me like two hours, because I'm like, OK, there's a React draggable components. I hook it up to an API. And that was for a senior developer role. So I was just like, I, I asked them, I was like, how do you gauge somebody's skill set using this? And they said, we, well, we just want to see if they're like able to code and build these things and look at some of their coding practices. And I'm like, but it's a to-do app. There's a billion examples out there. It's super easy to find the standardized community standard. So even if I've never done this before, I could still pretend and make something that I've been doing this for years. Uh, the fact that my resume didn't tell you that or my resume didn't also already show you that I'm capable of making a to-do app is just not a good sign to me. And then they were like, okay, I guess we see it. And then we had this whole conversation. But yeah, and then after that, I don't think I've taken a take-home like exam. That was more than an hour. Um, even, even there was at one time, there was this Microsoft one where I wanted to talk to the recruiter more about job and they didn't give me any answer. They just sent me a URL and they said, do this over the weekend. And I just refused. I was like, there's no way. I don't even know what job I'm applying for. You just want me to do this like two hour commitment. 
And it's true for the coding challenge. You also have to prepare for it, which is another set of commitment. Because if you're not coding all day, these are this is a different mindset for these things. And now you do all of that, and then I don't want to find out that, oh, by the way, the, it's for a front-end developer. And then I'm like, oh, great. Um, yeah, I've gotten in such a habit of mentioning front-end stuff on this in these discussions that I've done that. I haven't written JavaScript or TypeScript in at least four months. So it's it's been excellent. Just Python and Go. Are you are you writing YAML in JSON? <laughs> no, no, I haven't gone full DevOps mindset yet. Mm. Still, still just using you know Python and Go, but trying to sneak away from the front end if I can. Yeah. Uh, anything else? Uh, I mentioned comments. Uh, I mentioned describe your thing, test kit clearance. Oh yeah, uh, if you're doing one of these like one or two hour coding challenges for your technical screening, um, make sure you also have another tab open with like just the IDE that you trust or something that you used before in case the tool that they gave you isn't working or it has some glitch or there's some issue then you can at least solve it in the IDE that you have trusted and you can email the HR the solution if something goes wrong. Mm -hmm. Just something I like to keep handy because some of these tools, at least, I'm sure they've gotten better now, but there was a time where if you refresh the browser or something goes wrong, um, they're just done. Whatever reverse JavaScript timer they have keeps going, but nothing else works. None of the buttons or the API or anything works. So yeah, just be just be ready for that. Have a, have a API thing ready. And if these technical screenings are happening over video instead of just audio or something, I've said this before, I'll say it again, don't just sit there in a hoodie or something. No, try try to convey the message you haven't given up even though you're working from home. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. You got an hour into the show, you hear the real advice. Yeah, just just put on a look shirt. Like, you can look wear like you give a damn. Yeah, you can you can wear jeggings on the bottom or whatever you want, but just like very, very yeah, sure. How'd you know? That's my that's my uniform for all <laughs> interviews. It's for everyone. <laughs> Canadian summers. We're in Canada. We're gonna wear jorts. Sorry, now it's summer, so we're gonna wear jorts. Right. Yeah. And yeah, those are everything I had on the technical screening part. Right on. So I guess that brings us to the did better, do better, Gan. Wow. Your last week, did you do anything better? Oof. Don't disappoint um, me. I checked out a book from the local <laughs> library. <laughs> wow. So Impressive. I figured, so I, I have all these books sitting on my shelf, but I know I'm not reading them because there's no deadline and I am lacking motivation. So I need to go back to, I need to rely on discipline because motivation isn't coming from anywhere. So I know if I go get a book from the library, it has a return date that I must meet. So I will read it before that. Uh, the book is called Thanks for the Feedback. Um, I've heard get great reviews, how to positively, oh, how to take any feedback, even if it's positive or negative. Um, as with hiring season, it's also the season of annual reviews and quarterly improvements that your company tells you to do. So I figured it might put me in a little bit more mindset for that to make my next year goals and just even life goals. Cause if I haven't mentioned already over and over, I am lacking motivation so hard lately. Uh, this podcast is just keeping me going. Um, and I actually did some lead code problems. Uh, wow. What was the did better about it was it enforced the idea more that I don't want to do these. <laughs> I, I solved them. I actually did um, some recursion and some other ways of doing things. And I started like, just like even to some, instead of following whatever the standard is, I just sort of tried to make my own mathematical explanations of how I can solve certain things. Um, and that sort of worked. It passed whatever the lead could submit test button was. Uh, it ran in 38 whatever microsecond whatever so it was doing good milliseconds um 
But yeah, very much realized that I just hate it. So what I'm going to do instead is I'm going to now switch over to a little bit more on the systems design and architecture space. Now that your certifiable, awesome AWS master space humanoid, I'm going to follow in your footsteps and maybe take this certification now that I can steal all your notes and get advice from That's you. That's right. So I'm going to keep my focus on the things I do like and can continue doing better on. So that was my did better. And then for my do better, I am going to, as I said, look at the system design infrastructure. I am making a goal of reading 100 pages this week, which is just like 20 pages a day, which is not a hard goal because uh, I really need to be disciplined again. Uh, and now that I have a book, I can do that <laughs> in addition to all the other books I already had. And I am setting a deadline for myself to put out uh, a blog post on the Do Better lifestyle section of the Do Better Club. So I have a topic, I have some thoughts, I just want to write them down and push them out in the world. And, I, and we will have uh, some sort of place where people can pay us, and our Instagram presence is going to happen this week. So huge week coming. Wow. Lots of social media activity. Wow. Yeah. I can't wait to subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll you'll be our second follower. Yes. Perfect. I'm gonna I'm gonna put first My on every post. <laughs> <laughs> so my did better. As I mentioned, the big one was I passed that AWS certification course. Oh. Uh, please, please wait a wait oh, a second. Okay. There we go, yep, okay, so I did that, and that's a load off my mind, as I mentioned. And uh, one of the other things that I wanted to do, which was not nearly as difficult, was I, might, I had the goal of getting to platinum rank in ones in Rocket League, and when I was actually watching that Johnny Boy stream that I mentioned earlier, I, I have to focus too much on ones to be able to listen to a stream and play. But I was doing laundry while I had this stream on. I thought, you know what, I'll, do, I'll play some Rocket League while I listen to the stream. Because I have to wait for the laundry to be done before I can go to bed. And I was just playing around in free play and I was actually like, oh, wow, I'm playing pretty well. Let's hop into threes. And so I won a bunch of threes games and got to plat in threes. So that was unexpected because threes is trash and I hate it. And that's why I'm playing ones and twos. And uh, I think the issue is that I was playing in the morning, because normally I play at 5 a.m., and that time I was playing at like 8 p.m. And so I think it's just different groups of people, maybe people who are a bit more casual play at 8 p.m., and people who have been up all night and just raging at 5 a.m., maybe they're the ones playing at 5, I'm not sure. But for whatever reason, it was a very different experience. Uh, not nearly as many people just being being horrible in chat and horrible at the game uh, that night. So I may have just gotten lucky, who knows. But regardless, that was nice. So now I'm, I think, 30 MMR off from getting platinum once. So I'll try to do that this coming week. I have a bit more control over that. As long as I don't play horribly, I can hypothetically get there. So that'd be good. Uh, and another thing is I just want to hang out with a friend because that barely really happened much in the last year. And I managed to convince somebody to hang out either last week or the week before. I don't remember already because I'm a bit confused on what, what week things happened. But I want to do that again some point in the next week. And uh, just in general, May needs to be a shift in focus. I'm going to give myself at least two to three weeks of backing off from a lot of focus on work and um, like that sort of like development side of stuff and putting active effort into more uh, personal things as far as just like you know trying to again convince people to actually hang out that's the biggest hang up I want to they ne don't necessarily but also just you know being responding to a bunch of the emails that I haven't responded to and uh, the messages on various dating apps that I haven't responded to and haven't sent out even though I should have and trying to actually make an effort in my personal life a bit more than I have the last at least couple weeks 
but in general, the last few months, um, just because there hasn't been a need. Winter, COVID, I have work stuff, and it all paid off. I got, got what I wanted out of the, the work stuff, but I need to take an active step in a more personal direction and put some effort there. So I would just be focusing on that sort of thing and giving a bit of thought in the next couple days to how I want to do that exactly. Okay, so you're not committing to any metrics right now that you generally do on the show that pay yeah, off? Yeah, so let's see, Derek, write anything that's metrics based down? Like I'm going to text back five of the 50 girls waiting for a message, that kind of. Uh, I suppose I could, I had the idea of committing to each day after work, but now there's almost no, there's one day left of after work for this week. But the idea was like, all right, right after work, I'll actually like spend 30 minutes sending messages out on dating apps. And so maybe I'll commit, maybe I commit to that. It's not much of a commitment this week. Do it. But I'll, I'll, do, it. I'll do that. And uh, yeah, it'd be pretty cool, pretty cool to actually hang out with somebody, somebody new in May. So we'll see if I can make that happen. It, the chances of that goes exponentially high when you start talking to new yeah, people. Yeah, I've noticed that putting in zero effort results in meeting zero new women. <laughs> How, it's just it's crazy. I know, right? I'm surprised every day. Every day I wake up, I'm like, why, why is there no woman here? And I didn't realize it's because I didn't talk to anybody. So that's exactly. more or less uh, what I was alluding to the whole time. I need to do better, that sort of thing. And spend some time okay. outside because actually it's been kind of crappy again. But in general, I'm sure May will be wonderful. It's May flowers and all that. Yeah, exactly. And once the restrictions go down and we have like fought the cases i'll come be the friend who hangs out with you that'd be great i can actually talk to yeah. another human <laughs> we can we can meet in person after a year uh, close to eight months yeah yeah go to a patio wow yeah or our friend now has a new apartment could like chill there play games that'd be fun too be really bad at some co-op games together yeah <laughs> yeah yeah but cool um yeah if any you know pretty girls are listening to this it's anything.com slash nw calbank hit, hit the guy up um yes, that's not anything as a, as a domain literally i'm nw calbank on everything yeah onlyfans.com <laughs> slash <laughs> yeah that's that's how i make all my money yeah there is a workout I'm sure there is a if not we should create a workout version of it called only gains and then you can be slash nw calvangle there we go yeah or a food version of it only pans (laughs) 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 all right well that's this episode (laughs) yeah that's this episode guys thank you for listening Uh, if you have any other ideas or any feedback for us please reach out to us on very many ways of communicating us uh including instagram before right it'll be active before this episode drops hot okay so yeah come come give us a shout another thing for me to add to the show notes uh i just love increasing your workload (laughs) (laughs) thanks for listening everybody see you next week